0: So hello and welcome to the Medreads Podcast. This is episode 31 and this is the final part of our series titled I Swear to Tell the Whole Truth. And we are now in the court, we are about to give evidence and this episode is primarily about that interaction. What sort of questions you are likely to receive from the prosecution and defence and how you should answer plus lots of other tips and pearls. You probably are f- quite familiar with their voices by now, but we'll hear them one more time and then we'll jump right in. I hope you enjoy.
1: Uh, my name is David Parrott, QC. I'm Queen's Council in Scotland. I'm also a barrister in England and Wales. I'm also a barrister in Northern Ireland. Hi, I'm
2: Andrew Kuby. I sit as a sheriff at Glasgow Sheriff Court, one of 27 sheriffs here.
3: I'm Maura Orr, I'm the Procurator Fiscal for Glasgow and I work for Crown Office and Procurator Fiscal Service.
0: Okay, so we're going to talk about the giving of testimony now, um, but I thought just a, a quick recap might be useful just to, to go back over who is going to be asking questions of you and in what order they generally ask the questions. Well, the prosecutor
3: who has to approve their case beyond reasonable doubt to the jury should be looking to take your evidence logically, slowly, in a thorough and careful manner and you should expect to be asked by the prosecutor to explain any medical terms eh, so that the jury understand those. The defence will be seeking to put their client's position and may put a set of propositions to you consistent with the client's position with which you may agree, disagree or say that you can't answer that question. You should be aware that if there are five accused, then each of the accused legal representative will have the opportunity to ask you questions. And in some occasions where the evidence is complex or there's extensive medical evidence, you can expect to be in the witness box for a fairly lengthy period of time.
0: And typically uh, the prosecution will ask questions first, then the defence will ask questions, but it can go back to the prosecution, isn't that right? They can ask some more questions or, or can both parties ask more questions?
3: The party who calls the witness has two opportunities in theory to examine the witness, but in re-examination, which is what takes place after the defence have cross-the-witness, we are limited to matters that have arisen in the course of cross-examination only. And... Again, if you have a complex set of circumstances where the medical evidence is crucial to the proof of the case, you may find you do, in fact, have lengthy cross-examination and re-examination of your evidence.
0: And can you remind us again, um, uh, uh, the majority of us will be called as professional witnesses. And in that sense, what is our role? Is it purely statement of fact? Will we be asked for some opinion? Or what, what can we expect?
3: You should expect to be led through the treatment of the patient in a chronological order starting off with how the patient presented your examination any further examinations and your treatment and perhaps prognosis usually after that the person calling you will ask for you to provide some sort of opinion for example is the injury saw consistent with the use of a knife as we discussed earlier perhaps is, is that injury Severe or was a danger to life And those are essentially opinions Which you're qualified to give As a result of your training and experience As a professional witness
0: Okay David, I'm going to ask you this one I'm trying to give our listeners a sense Of what to expect from the questioners How are they going to um, word the questions There's a definite style and and mechanism By which they, they draw testimony um, I was wondering if you could kind of give us a sense of of kind of what to expect.
1: Um, Let me start with saying that in examination in chief, the questions will be very open. They tend to start with who, what, where, why, tell me, describe, can you remember, what was that kind of thing. And so the idea is that I cannot lead you, I cannot uh, shape the evidence that you're giving. I can only define it or filter it down into particular areas, but the evidence it's your evidence. In cross-examination, traditionally done, it's different now with vulnerable witnesses, but traditionally, your, your credibility and reliability is tested by virtue of closed leading questions. And as I look at you just now, I can say you're wearing a denim shirt, aren't you? <laughs> oh, sorry, I should say you're wearing a lovely jacket, aren't you? You're wearing a red tie, Why, thank you are very you not? Much. Your name is Owen, isn't it? So if you think about it, it's a statement of a proposition of fact And it's what's called tagged. There's a tag at the end which closes it and therefore makes it a closed leading question. So conventionally, great cross-examination was a series of yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, yes, etc. That is changing slightly. Um, Professional people like you uh, would find that very irritating to be marshaled and controlled and straight-jacketed in that way. But uh, that is a kind of questioning that we will try and uh, address to you.
3: You should also be aware of what we call leading questions. Leading questions are generally not allowed, but they do occur. And a leading question is usually heralded by the use of the words, would you agree that, I think it's the case that, or other similar expressions. When you hear words at the start of a sentence, you have to be really careful that you agree in full with the proposition being put to you. And if you don't, then you shouldn't hesitate to disagree with the questioner. As a professional witness, you are there to give evidence in an unbiased way, unaffected by whether you're called for the defence or the Crown or in a fatal accident inquiry for another party to that inquiry.
0: And I think there was an important point in there worth maybe emphasising is that you've got to feel confident that you understand the question well. So don't be afraid to ask them to repeat the question. And also, you're also allowed to, to look at your notes as well if you require, if that would help you answer the question. Isn't that right?
3: It's important when you're asked questions that you are confident that you understood the question you were asked. From time to time, questions can be asked in a poorly worded way or are perhaps ambiguous. You must always take the time to invite the person to repeat the question so that you're quite sure of the evidence being sought before you answer. You must also feel confident to take the time to refer to the medical records if you're not quite sure of the answer to a question. You may either invite the sheriff or In the high court the judge to give you a moment to look at the notes or it may be that the pleader will direct you towards those to assist in answering questions we would always recommend that any doctor coming to court takes the time to familiarize themselves with all of the medical records and not simply that part where they saw the patient themselves The Rules of Evidence in Scotland allow us to invite a doctor to speak not only to any records they may have created themselves, but to records of colleagues including nursing and other medical staff.
0: Okay David, I'm going to come to you now if that's okay and because I I went on a a seminar that you ran uh, about conduct in court and how to answer questions in court and it was uh, it was great and I learned so much that I never knew previously and I wanted to give you the opportunity to to kind of talk a little bit more about things that you think would be helpful for us to know uh, on how to answer questions and how
1: to behave in court would that be okay? I suppose I have a some observations on how to answer the kind of questions that you might be facing and which I've just explained. And I suppose there are rules of thumb uh, which can get you out of trouble. The first one is, if you do not understand the question, and you have to remember that when we're asking questions as the lawyers, we don't always get it right. You know, we can have all of the training about don't use conjunctives or disjunctives don't have multi-propositional questions, etc. but sometimes we forget. And so if I ask you a question, uh, just looking at Owen here, and Owen, what um, what were you wearing on that uh, Tuesday, uh, that Monday? And what were you drinking? And then you only answer the question, I was wearing a denim shirt. So we never find out what he was drinking. So if you are facing that kind of multi-propositional question, clarify it. Would you like me to answer both, both parts of that? Or answer the denim shirt part and then say, um, would you like me to answer about what he was drinking? So uh, listen carefully, is the second thing, to the question. Uh, Maybe that's the first thing actually, but listen very carefully. If you don't understand it, you ask for clarification. If they huff and puff, it's just done to try and um, control you, I suppose. Just turn to the judge every time. Turn to the judge and say, my lord or my lady, I don't follow the question. I don't understand the question. You will never be forced to answer a question that you do not understand. I I recognise I keep giving lists, one, two, three, etc. Okay, next point, let's say that. Next point is um, take your time. Do not feel compelled to launch into the answer. If you need one or two seconds, if anything, it aids your credibility to demonstrate that you're a thoughtful individual, as opposed to shoot from the hip guy who thinks he can demonstrate or she demonstrates that she knows everything about this. I would find that odd, to be honest, that uh, you could answer so quickly with events, with how busy your work is from eight months ago. So, you know, just take your time and uh, think about what your answer is. Make it measured. Next point. Speak slowly. And have appropriate pauses. A bit like what I'm doing just now. It aids assimilation and allows everybody in a courtroom to think about what you're saying and makes you look quite good as a professional person who's thoughtful, and is thinking carefully about their evidence, and is trying to assist the court. Next point, don't ramble on. Okay, there's a great tendency, or or maybe not tendency, it was a great, um, what would I say, not even tempting. It, I think sometimes it just happens. And do you know why it happens? Because of adrenaline. Because you have this, and this is what we train the questioners, the lawyers all about, because you have adrenaline, you rattle off like a train. And nerves, probably. Uh, yeah, nerves. The adrenaline causing the nerves, the heart rate, and all the rest of it. You guys do the medicine. You know what adrenaline does. And uh, there's a great temptation just to keep going. Now, can I let you into a secret? Please. And that is something that lawyers who are questioners use a technique called the power of silence.
0: To make you speak?
1: I just have. (laughs) (laughs) Darn it, feel that one. So, uh, yeah, we actually use that. Use it with witnesses where I will signal to you with my eyebrows or some kind of non-verbal communication.
0: To keep going, nearly prompting you to keep going.
1: I'm finding it very hard not to speak right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm doing it too at the moment. But uh, just, you know, if you've finished what you're saying, just stop, invert it. Just use the power of silence back at them, okay? It can only work for you. Let's say there was a five-second silence where you say nothing more, the questioner says nothing more. What's going to happen? The judge will say, is that all the questions you have, Mr Parrot? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I've got more. I've got more. I've got more. I was just trying to do that power of silencing. So uh, don't, uh, don't keep rambling on. Here's another reason why. If I'm, there's two ways of cross examining. And I mentioned a minute ago about the closed leading questions. Now, there's another technique, which is to ask more open questions who, what, where, why, when, tell, describe, explain, and allow you to talk. Because if I'm on top of my brief, at some point, you might make a mistake or put a foot wrong. And then I'm ready. So these are good reasons why you want to try and confine your answer and what you say to what you're asked in the question.
0: And I think it's important also to say, you might have said it a wee bit earlier, but we we are there to give statement to fact. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. Now, I don't think... I was very familiar with that the first time I went to court and I wasn't really aware of what my role was. And you feel compelled to answer things and it felt like I was being asked things beyond what maybe I was
1: capable of answering. Well, you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't hold back at that point and you shouldn't feel in any way prohibited or inhibited from saying, I'm not in a position to answer that. Now, again, that's a bit of a technique used by the other side, by, by the lawyers, is to um, try and invoke or pray in aid or, or by flattery, use your professional reputation to try and get you to say things beyond that which you are there for, which is purely on the facts. I think I gave an example earlier. Doctor, you have 20 years of, uh, of experience in this field. You must be a terribly important person at the hospital. You must be the leader in your field. I wonder if you could help the ladies and gentlemen of the jury as to whether this was indeed a life-threatening injury. You know, it's that kind of thing. So my tips for the top about pausing, pausing before answering are actually quite opposite here. Think about, firstly, what we answer to the question is, and secondly, whether you can actually give it. If you have to circumscribe your evidence with a rider, OK, what I mean by that is... Uh, if you have to say to them, I can only comment on this as a matter of fact, but as a matter of fact, I would say X, fine, great witness, absolute wonderful witness. You'll know, past, must, past muster uh, on all fronts, credibility and reliability, because you're very careful in your evidence giving. The worst kind of witness is somebody who is answering all the time, has the old verbal diarrhoea and oversteps the mark. Because at the end of that, when you're long gone, remember I'm telling you about the pieces of the jigsaw, when you're long gone, somebody somewhere saying he's a rubbish witness for all the following reasons. Andrew, I'm going to come to you if that's okay. I think
0: it's worth um, talking a bit more about... Um, what, what to say when you feel uncomfortable and, and you don't feel you have sufficient knowledge to answer a question. I know that, that I've experienced that in court. The first couple of times I was in court I, I wasn't, you, you feel this need to say something. You don't want to look silly or stupid. Um, you're there as a professional and, and, and you feel like you're obliged to answer everything that's asked of you but um, that wouldn't always be the case and, and I think the recommendation would be that if, if, if you're out of your depth, in Then you say so So, Is it best to say I don't know Is that that the best way to answer If if you don't feel you can answer a question That would be acceptable I mean I think one
2: of the um, One of the things That comes with professional confidence Is having the confidence to say I don't know enough about that To venture an opinion It can be tempting I think particularly When you are younger And inexperienced, to think that you have to um there would be no difficulty certainly in any court I was in if a doctor said, "I now think I'm being asked beyond the scope of what I'm comfortable answering. And uh, I think any court would recognize the professional responsibility that was being shown there. and there are there are examples of from fatal accident inquiries, for example, of accident and emergency consultants pontificating, and I don't use the word lightly, about what GPs should do in circumstances when the court at the end of the day felt they didn't have enough expertise to be making these observations. Uh, so I think it's it's perfectly reasonable to um, raise with the court any concerns or qualifications you have about your ability
0: to answer any particular question. So it's probably worth even emphasising that uh, again for our listeners, particularly those that have never been to court, maybe going soon for the first time, is that you are there um, to give statement to fact, but you might be invited to give a little bit of extra opinion or move into the more expert um, kind of realm. But it may be better even to anticipate that, but to feel comfortable knowing that you are Um, allowed to to decline to comment on things that you do not feel comfortable answering. Is that kind of fair for us to say that? I I think that's fair.
2: Um, It's likely as a doctor in these circumstances that you will be asked questions that might stray into expertise and it it happens even to the most eminent uh, professional witnesses where when they're in the witness box having taken the oath one or other side will want to take advantage of that, but I would encourage you to feel confident enough to say, I'm sorry, I think this is out with the field where I feel comfortable or expert enough to, to venture an opinion. Now, you may find that the judge will encourage you to venture an opinion in any event, but there's nothing, in my view, wrong about flagging up your own concerns about it.
0: Sorry, could I just take you back to that last point you made about uh, a judge may ask you to, to give an opinion. Um, are there cases where you literally have to say something if, if invited to do so? Or if you still feel out of your depth, even if you've been invited by the judge to, to give an opinion, is it still okay to say, look, I just don't feel this is within my area of expertise? Well, uh, again, I would say so. I, I can't speak for all judges, but I think if
2: giving evidence before me a doctor said look I'm sorry however much you want me to speculate about this I don't feel comfortable doing it I think I would respect their professional competence and confidence in saying that. Um,
3: It's one of the important particularly important if you're expert witness but also for all professional witnesses that you only answer a question where you feel qualified and comfortable answering it and if something is beyond your expertise or knowledge then of course you should advise the questioner of that fact and simply say that you're not qualified to be able to answer that question and they should accept that and
0: move on and what would be the right way to 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 say that you don't feel comfortable is it literally i don't feel i can answer that i don't feel comfortable answering or or, or what,
1: what what's the right way to phrase it any of those um as a matter I, i'm only here to speak to matters of fact as a matter of fact that if or you can ask for clarification of the question you know if i say to you and so doctor that must have been a life threatening injury mustn't it And you might in that stage or or, or that question, you might say to me, well, just be specific for me, please. What do you mean by life threatening? I'm not here to give expert evidence. That would put me in my place, actually. Uh, And so I would go back and say, well, doctor, my fault, my fault. Let me rephrase that. If you had not done, and I checked the evidence, you say you did this. Is that right? Yep. And this, yep. And this, yep. And this, yep. Doctor, this is my question. If you hadn't done all those four things, would he have died, yes or no? Yes, I can answer that because it's a matter of fact.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier uh, credibility. Now, if, if we're wanting to conduct ourselves well in court and we'd like to be a good, reliable and credible witness, um, what, what, what,
1: what does that mean? What, what, what do we need to do to be credible? Okay. Well, um, let me start with the distinction between credibility and reliability. So credibility strictly is the assessment of evidence as to whether you're telling the truth or not. It goes to the falsehood or otherwise of the evidence that you've given. Now, that's highly unlikely to be the case. 99.999 whatever percent will not be, credibility will not be an issue for you guys giving your evidence. Different for other kinds of witnesses. Reliability is how much you can remember, and we all forget. If you asked me, oh, and what did I do last Tuesday at seven o'clock? I'm struggling, I'm struggling to tell you, and I'm a professional person as well. So it's fully appreciated that you know memories play tricks, and probably memories uh, and um, oral evidences one of the least satisfactory of uh, of all sources of evidence. Now reliability. You may well end up getting questions directed to reliability. How can you be so sure about that? How do you remember that? Um, how can you be so certain today? Or another question might be: If there's a discrepancy between what you say today and what you wrote then, what do we prefer? Do we prefer what you wrote then, or should we take what you're saying today? Now, again, with the kind of uh, the the witness who has very high opinion of themselves and can be easily pushed. You know, these are the kind of witnesses that you can have a lot of fun with from a legal side. Somebody who uh, does not make appropriate concessions. Oh yeah, of course I can remember. I've got memory like an elephant. You know, that's how you can avoid, that. that, that's, that is a trap for the unwary. So it doesn't really, uh, funnily enough, damage your, your evidence in terms of my submission at the end when you say, well, I can't fully remember that, but my recollection is that. That puts me as a questioner in a difficult situation. Do I say, well, can you give it a percentage or a number out of 10 or whatever? You say, no, I just, that's my recollection and I can't be absolutely certain. If anything, that will aid uh, your overall assessment as a witness, as opposed to somebody who says they can remember absolutely everything. So do not, I suppose my, uh, my advice to the listeners is, Uh, If you feel that you have to make a concession, an appropriate concession in terms of what you can and cannot remember, that's no problem. Okay, I'm going
0: to just throw out a little general question and I would really value each of you giving any extra little tips or pearls, anything that maybe we've not spoken about already that that you've maybe witnessed in your time in court or maybe something that you wished health professionals did differently. So any other little helpful tips would be greatly appreciated. So maybe more if you don't mind, I'll I'll start with you.
3: Firstly, I would like doctors to understand that they must feel free at any time to refer to the notes. And if you think you may take some time to find the part of the notes you're looking for, if they're very luminous, for example, then don't hesitate to say to the pleader, I wonder if I could have some time to consider the notes. And if it's going to be a lengthy period, the court will go down, the the judge will leave and you'll be allowed to read them at your leisure. Or if it's something quicker, don't hesitate to look through the papers until you find what you're looking for because it's much better to take a minute and feel comfortable you're giving the right answer and to feel pressured or rushed into answering something where you're not quite sure if the answer's on the top of your head. Never feel pressured to answer a question that you can't answer or don't feel comfortable answering and never feel pressured to agree with something being put to you which you don't feel is completely accurate. So you're there as a professional to give your evidence to the court from that point of view and you mustn't ever feel that you're obliged to answer a question that doesn't sit comfortably with you.
2: I suppose in terms of conduct, most professional witnesses understand what it's about, but there's just a couple of pointers that's maybe worth uh, giving. The first one is don't try to be smart, I think, in your answers. It was in an FAI where the question was badly put. It was something like, do you remember what you said to Mrs Smith, And the answer from the professional witness was yes. And then there was a kind of smug look I've answered the question I was asked. It was obvious that what the question was really getting to was what did you say? And you don't really get many marks from anybody for prolonging matters by being smart. If you don't understand the question that's different, say so. But if you understand the question there's no point in making that kind of petty point. And I suppose the second thing I would say is remember that if you're in particularly a fatal accident inquiry, there are likely to be family members there. And I was particularly struck on one occasion where a doctor was brought in, was asked if he remembered the deceased and quite dismissively said, well, I can't possibly be expected to remember everybody that I've ever looked after and kind of snorted. Now, it looked very bad, even though it was a genuine answer to the question. Uh, and I just think it's useful to remember the sensitivities of some of the people who are watching um, and who might be more offended by that than they should be perhaps but nonetheless there is another way of answering that question that wouldn't have given rise to any kind of offence
1: Well, um, in the same way that lawyers fall into legalese and we always have to be very careful with that uh, in the public court especially with juries there different when it's only a judge But as a matter of good practice, not to slip into uh, Latin maxims and and the like. The the best medical witnesses I see have that ability to explain things which might be medically quite complicated, but to the layperson, to the person in the street. And I see uh, no reason to depart from that when giving evidence in the witness box.
0: Okay, so as we've described before, there's often three phases of questioning. So there's the, the examination in chief, um, from the prosecution, and then there's the cross-examination by the defence, and then there's sometimes the re-examination um, from the prosecution again. So, how does this conclude? What 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 happens at the end of this process?
3: Uh, the Fiscal will either indicate they have no further questions in re-examination or that they don't intend to re-examine and the judge should indicate that you're excused from attendance at court so you can uh, leave the building.
0: And there'll be somebody there who will escort you out of the court, is that right?
3: Yes, the the bar officer should uh, show you at least to the door of the court and indicate where you should go.
0: So what do I do then? Do I just leave? Do I speak to someone or, or what should I do?
3: You've been excused uh, from your citation at that point and you can leave and go uh, about the rest of your day.
0: OK, well, it might be worth talking about expenses, if that's OK, because we can claim uh, for being a, a witness at court. Now, it was probably my fourth or fifth time at court before I even realised that I was allowed to claim. I think maybe I presumed wrongly that it was just my duty to be there and there was no costs incurred. It was just time out of work, but I it was my duty to to go. So, But that's not exactly the case, is it, Moira?
3: All witnesses can Claim for attending court. Professional witnesses are entitled to be paid at the professional rate for attending court. And in addition, if you have expenses such as travelling expenses, or if you had to employ a locum, then you may also claim uh, for those expenses.
0: And where do you typically make the claim? Um, we, we should probably point out that the citation that you receive to to come to court includes. Um, your expenses kind of form. Um, so it's useful to bring that with you to court. Um, uh, uh, but where do I bring that? Where, where do I go after I leave the court uh, to process that?
3: The uh, mason or bar officer will stamp your citation for you, which is just confirmation that you've attended court uh, as you were cited to do. And then arrangements for paying of expenses vary slightly but the detail will be in back of that form and usually you can either submit the form at the local Procurator Fiscals Office or send it in by mail to the address in the uh, citation form
0: okay so i think there was a lot of really great information in in this podcast i think this one was probably the meat of the entire series you know how we conduct ourselves during the giving of testimony so there was a lot of great stuff there that i would like to emphasize now and i think as a rough overview of the process of giving testimony it's often the prosecution who will speak first and they will guide you logically and carefully through your involvement with the case and they may ask uh, for you to clarify any medical terms then the defence has an opportunity to put propositions to you that, that um, are consistent with their client's position which you can agree, disagree or, or say you're not comfortable answering And then there's often a re-examination phase. The prosecution will get another chance to to talk about anything that was brought up during the defence's cross-examination. You may be asked for opinion. You're likely to be asked for opinion. They believe that you probably have enough experience to offer some opinion. But if you feel it's straying into expert uh, kind of level of opinion, then be very comfortable saying that and, and decline to answer anything that you don't feel qualified enough to answer. In terms of your conduct, there's a lot of great tips and pearls there. I'll just run through them in no particular order just to remind ourselves. Um, So listen carefully to the questions and understand what you are answering and, and ask for clarification if you aren't sure. Take your time answering, be thoughtful and speak slowly. Don't ramble. And be aware of the power of silence, so don't be pressured or feel inclined to keep speaking. Um, And don't feel in any way bad about saying you are not comfortable answering a question. Feel free to refer to the notes. Try not to be smart-alecky. And be sensitive in case there are family members present and and try to avoid any medical jargon. You are trying to convince the jury, who are all non-medical people. um, So try and speak in a way that would explain the matters to them. And finally there's expenses, um, so you are entitled to claim a flat rate as a professional fee plus any other additional uh, expenses that were incurred such as travel expenses or if you had to get cover at work, etc, etc. So wow, that turned into a bit of a mammoth five-parter, um, I wasn't anticipating it being that long, so thank you very much for, for keeping with us. I hope you found it very, very helpful. Please feel free to leave any comments on our website Uh, And also at samungos-ed.com, there's loads and ever-growing amount of additional educational resources, which I think you'll enjoy, so please check it out. One more absolutely massive thank you to our very, very special guests, uh, Sheriff Andrew Kuby, QC David Parrott, and the Procurator Fiscal for Glasgow, Moira Orr, for giving up so much of their time and so much of their expertise uh, to make these podcasts. It was really, really generous of them to do that, and I hope you found it beneficial. I think it's important just finally just emphasising one more time that all of this was based on Scottish law so it would be worth just checking locally if any of what's been raised in these podcasts differs where you live and work. So many, many thanks to you again for listening and take care.